the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now, it's the Rob Black Podcast. You can hear Rob live every weekday morning from 10 to noon on 910 AM and talk910.com. Live from the Bay Area, your money, your life. This is Rob Black. It's the Rob Black Show. I'm Rob Black. Talking all things financial, May 3rd. Couple days till Cinco de Mayo. Made up American holiday to celebrate something that very few people know about in the world. But again, it's yet another good holiday. I think it's made up by the beer companies, all things considered. 800-345-5639 to get your calls in there. It's 800-345-5639 to get your calls in there. We can talk about anything, honestly, anything that you want to. We can talk about the stock market. What happened last week? What's going to happen in the next couple of weeks? What's going to happen this year? What's going to happen next year? What's your expectations for a long-term investment portfolio? Uh, investing for kids, investing for 20-somethings, investing for 40-somethings, 60-somethings. Who are you? We could talk about it. Anything that you want to talk about. There's so many weird little nuances out there each and every day, like what's happening in Greece? How's Apple doing? What's Apple going to do next? There's, there's always these little feelers that we could you know, latch in on and try to read the tea leaves, so to speak. We're never going to be 100% right. We don't want to. Uh, Ford, for instance, came out with sales that rose 24% for the fifth gain year over, uh, on a year-over-year year level. As analysts saw you know, a rise a little bit higher than that, though. Will that, the fact that the analysts thought things were going to be stronger at Ford hurt them today? Will it help them? Uh, you know, is, is it still a good number? The downside is, is we're coming out of a recession, and we're coming out of a government spending phase that a lot of the data that we're getting, it's quite honestly useless and junk. For instance, today we're going to see that construction on a year-over-year basis looks good. But we're going to see a large part of that construction on a year-over-year basis is coming from our government and not from the private sector. So is it really good? You know, is capitalism alive and well? Is capitalism thriving or is it just, you know, kind of a socialism angle? I'm not talking socialism, communism, or capitalism to push your buttons. I'm not Glenn Beck. In no way, shape, or form am I Glenn Beck. But when I say socialism, what I'm trying to say is our government's spending a lot of our taxpayer money. That's why those construction numbers look so good. We can talk anything that you want to talk about. So there's the premise of the show. 800-345-5639. It's 800-345-5639. New week. Busy start. Busy, busy, busy start. The European Union... And the IMF, they agreed to put together basically $145 billion in financial aid package for Greece. It dwarfs an originally proposed package of $45 billion. Now, again, that's $110 billion in euros, but $145 billion in dollars. I just thought that might be easier for you to digest what those numbers are actually looking like. And um, the market deems it to be insufficient. The market's saying that's not going to bail out Greece. It's going to need to be more than that. Get this. Australia is proposing a new 40% tax on profits of mining companies that will go into effect in 2012. 40 cent profit. Oh, God. 
Now, think of it this way. You get it. You understand that miners die. You understand it's an incredibly dangerous job and the government has to step in all the time. Now, mining is even more than just, you know, the coal miners. It's gold mining and bauxite and all the different metals and substrates that we need to, you know, push economies forward. Australia is considered kind of like a Canada where they've got wonderful, wonderful natural resources. We love you, Canada, for your natural resources. Um, but the economy is not much more than that. So Australia is 40% taxing on, on mining for a country that's big on commodities. That's going to hurt their businesses. Now, again, that's where a lot of their profits come from is the, is the mining. Now, elsewhere, China's raised a new ratio for the reserves for their banks. This time by 50 basis points, it's working to curb excessive loan growth. Go, 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 China. The China's doing so darn good has caused inflation. And uh, uh, the brake pedal on inflation, inflation's bad. Inflation's like Freddy Krueger. Not good. Not good. So when you see inflation, you start to slow it down. You don't, you know, hit it in the face. You raise interest rates. You make it cost more to borrow. Or you tell banks that you have to have legally more assets in the bank to cover worst-case scenarios. So banks, you know, before they could leverage that asset, now they have to use it for protection. So that's kind of what that's all about. Today we're still battling that huge oil spill in the Gulf of Mexico. Um, What else is there there? Whoa, yeah, how about a thwarted car bomb in New York City? What's that mean for you and me? Higher oil prices. Oil rig blows up, floods the Gulf of Mexico with oil. Huge oil spill. Gigantic oil spill. And then there's potential terrorism actions in New York and Times Square. I know. We, in California, I'm going to be quite honest with you. I didn't even notice this story. It wasn't that big of a deal over the weekend. On the East Coast, an SUV being, you know, uh filled with explosive materials and left to blow up in Times Square. Huge story. There's a huge difference from California and the rest of the United States as far as worries about terrorism. In California, it's all good. It's all good. We're going to go smoke some weed. It's all good. We don't care if, you know, a little terrorism happens here and there. But in the rest of the United States, it's pretty stressful. It's pretty stressful. Today, there was some economic data like the personal income and spending report. No major surprises. No major surprises. Uh, personal incomes rose about three-tenths of a percent. So personal spending about six-tenths of a percent. So we're spending at a faster clip than our incomes are rising. April employment report comes on Friday. I think Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday is going to be useless for the stock market. I think Friday, when we see the jobs numbers, are going to be very, very important. Very, very important. There's some other things that could drive stock markets higher. For instance, mergers and acquisitions. Mergers and acquisitions does a lot of things. First and foremost, it, it tells a company, I'm looking at you and I like you. It's like getting married to a, a woman where you, you look at her and you go, I like you enough to spend the rest of my life with you. And I think financially it's a smart thing to do. And I think for love, it's a smart thing to do. I'm going to marry you. So that's happening today in corporate America. One airline is merging with another airline. Now, there's, there's different ways of looking at it. One, that they're looking at each other and liking each other. Two, that they know they can squeeze out a lot of synergies. You don't need two executives of, of, of photocopying. Only need one of those. 
You don't need two CEOs. You only need one of those. So you're able to save billions and billions and billions of dollars over time. So United Airlines and Continental Airlines announced a merger that's going to create the world's biggest airline. The all-stock deal from coast-to-coast American Behemoth is what we're looking at at this point in time. United's buying Continental. The combined company is going to keep the United name. The Continental's going the way of the dodo bird. Hmm. How do you feel about that? Now, there's still going to be a lot of the logos and a lot of the colors of Continental laying around. The deal's got some huge hurdles. Huge hurdles. They got to win Justice Department Antitrust Division. This is a big company. The combination's going to have over 10 major domestic hubs in the United States. It's going to serve over 144 million passengers in 59 countries. Now, a lot of people aren't expecting antitrust problems here since the companies have few overlapping domestic routes and they don't compete internationally. Now, there's another issue. Not only does it have to get antitrust, but it's going to have to get approval from the unions. Unions representing Continental and United. The pilots, they said they expect a fair and equitable seniority integration between the two groups. And that threatened to oppose the transaction if a new collective bargaining agreement not going to be reached. So we don't know if this is going to get done. We don't know how hard the the pilots or the machinists or the stewardesses are going to fight the, here. We don't. It's going to be interesting to note that this could become a monster company. A monster company. Unlike the Delta Northwest transaction, a lot of these union deals weren't negotiated first. They were negotiated after the fact. So both airlines are still losing money. But we're coming out of a recession. And because of that, this is the right time to do a merger. So, you know, some of the winners here are going to be Southwest and JetBlue. A lot of people think JetBlue is the next company to be acquired in large part because they're out there and because they're profitable and they're small. United and Continental are going to have 21% of the domestic capacity. So one out of every five miles flown in America are going to be flown from the United and Continental merger. That's pretty great. So globally, they're going to have about 7% of all the miles flown. They're going to have 40% market share at San Francisco International. So if you fly anywhere in San Francisco International, there's a 40% chance you fly either Continental or United. That's pretty crazy, isn't it? At Houston International, there's a 64%. At Newark Liberty, there's a 55% dominance. They may have to trim some of that back. But again, that's if you fly into Houston, there's a 60% chance plus that you're flying in one of those two companies or the merged company. They think it's going to yield about $2 billion in savings. These are two companies, by the way, that came out of that fried chicken era when we used to serve fried chicken on airplanes in the 1920s and 1930s. There was a guy named Walter Varney, who was a former World War I pilot in Daredevil. And he started, you know, the airlines right then and there, right after World War I. The companies went out on to outlast other companies like TWA, Eastern Airlines, Pan Am. Do you remember Pan Am? And uh, this is a big deal. They're essentially basically merging back into themselves and bringing it all full circle. So interesting to note how uh, two really old legacy companies in America... No longer competing against each other, jumping into bed with one another. 800-345-5639 to get your calls in the air. What do you think about this big merger acquisition? You think it's going to hurt flying? I do a little bit. I do fewer competitors for us to vote with our dollars on. Continental getting into bed with United. 800-345-5639 to get your calls in the air. It's 800-345-5639. It's Rob Black Show, 910 AM. Coming up. 
I got more business stories for you, including the best airline out there. It's Rob Black Show, 910 AM, more stimulating talk. like blowing 10 grand in Vegas on the first day and then making it all back and more on the second. The Rob Black Show on 910 AM. More stimulating talk. It's the Rob Black Show. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial. Now, I already started this show with a big Continental United merger happening and how they're going to control about 20% of all miles flown in the United States. More than 40% of the flights in San Francisco and more than 60% of the flights in Houston and roughly 55% of the flights in a major New York airport. That's pretty scary because it's a big monopoly wheel. And to me, the odds of landing on United are higher. I hate United. Hate them. Never liked them. Never, ever, never liked them. They've, They've been fine and perfunctory. But, man, I've had some just arrogant arrogant sales, not salespeople, but people that you deal with. And I tend to vote with my dollars. I tend to go with the Virgin Americas or the Southwests. Um, It may not be the most comfortable flight. It may not have the most upgrade perks tied towards it. Uh, The jet blues of the world, I prefer because they're kind to you. It's a weird thing that in a business world, I prefer the word kind than lean. There's a company that I think has done everything right. I wouldn't invest in them. I might try to trade them based on lower oil expectations. I might try to trade them based on world economies advancing. But it's Southwest. Southwest JetBlue and Alaska Air are going to have the most to gain from this big continental uh, United merger. They're going to have a lot to gain from it, in fact. Now, the CEO of Southwest did something that pissed off Wall Street two years ago. He drew a line in the sand, and what he did was he basically said, we don't want people mad at us. That kind of marketing kills us. So he said, we're not going to charge for bags. Now, every other major airline two years ago started charging more and more, more and more nickel and diming, or it depends on what you think about it. Wall Street's thought the CEO, Kelly, was nuts, that he was naive, that he was all above. Now, this quarter, he just reported a profit of $11 million. And, you know, last year they lost $91 million at the same time. Southwest, though, grabbed about a billion dollars annual in an annual market share. Thanks in large part from people saying, you know what? My bag gets to fly free. We've seen those commercials. We get it. So they're beating the pants off competitors on a revenue-generating side of the fence. They have fewer seats offered every single day, and they're carrying more passengers Every single day. They're ultimately and literally defying gravity. And all because bags fly free. Interesting to note. You know, the big big boys in the airline industry, you kind of refer to them as kind of like the Genghis Khans. You know, like, we will fly people, but you will do it our way or no way. So I think it's kind of nice to be a leader sometimes who is a good listener. And sometimes it, it, it's good to be, you know, leading and playing along with the other boys. But he's done a really nice job as a CEO. He's the fifth major CEO for Southwest. And, um, again, I think he's done a real nice job of putting his own little stamp on the company 
His name's Gary Kelly. And ultimately, anywhere he goes, I'm going to pay attention to it because I think he's unique, doesn't follow the herd, and he creates a billion dollars of new opportunity. Now, not profit, but new opportunity just by saying, let's go with what the people want here. Let's go to Rick and Martinez, 800-345-5639. It's 800-345-5639. Rick, how are you? Hi, Rob. How you doing? Good. Hey, I agree with you. I don't like the merger. I was an employee at United Airlines for 15 years. Um, I think the, the merger will dominate more. They'll have more control over prices, service issues, and such. I think the, the workers are going to suffer. Um, I just don't like the merger. Now, with that said, um, and let me ask you or throw some stuff out at you, United and Continental, they're merging, Rick, because they were companies that were around in the 1920s and 1930s, and ultimately they kind of got fat, and they kind of did great, and they, 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 they did have no problem with unions early on, but later on the unions kind of come back and bite them in the butt as far as promises they've made to these people. Don't you see that as that's Southwest, and that's the strength of Southwest and JetBlue is that their unions aren't as old as the airlines like United and Continental? Well, that's true, but United Airlines has changed unions three times for the mechanics and the rampers. And I also worked for Pan Am before they went bankrupt. I worked with guys that had 30 years in at Eastern Airlines that hired in at United at 55 years old with no benefits. I was also part of the employee-owned ESOP at United where we lost $100,000 worth of stock. So I'm a little down on the big airlines, the workers much. I hear you. What did you do for the airline? I was a mechanic. Okay. And how say how surgery? They got rid of me after 15 years light duty which was available. They're just doing a lot of underhanded stuff that I don't agree with. Rick, how safe are airlines from a mechanic standpoint? How how comfortable are you flying each and every day? They're pretty safe. You have to everything you touch, you have a stamp when you hire on. Every part you touch, everything you work on is inspected by inspectors after you do the work. I believe United States Airlines are, are pretty safe. Uh, they inspect everything pretty close, but there's always that, you know, if factor. Yeah. And if it fails in the, in the air versus on the ground. Thanks for the call, Rick. All right. Have a good day, Rob. 800-345-5639. It's 800-345-5639. Wall Street's taking a different approach to it. Wall Street's thinking that there may be some more mergers and acquisitions, that U.S. Airways was left with nothing. Alaska Airways was less left with nothing. If they want to compete even more effectively, they're going to need to pick up some more revenue. They're going to need to pick up some more uh, passengers. So their piece of the pie just you know stayed stagnant while someone else's piece of the pie got a lot bigger, which basically means, for instance, United Continental is now in the position where they could take a loss on a flight you know, in a, in a pond jumper, but they can make that money back up in the longer term hauls. Or another, or they could take a loss in longer term hauls and make it up in the pond jumping, so to speak, as far as flights go. So the companies like Alaska Airlines that does a lot of pond jumping, they need to get some some more long dis, longer distance hauls. And the bigger companies like U.S. Airways, who do a lot of longer hauls, need to make it up in the pond jumping to make sure that they got enough product to satisfy the people. 
So Wall Street's looking out there today, and they're like, okay, JetBlue's cute. JetBlue's definitely cute. Virgin America's done a lot of good. I don't know if Richard Branson wants to sell that that property or that asset at this point in time. And uh, again, there, there's always going to be some competition in the airlines, but I do feel like pretty big, pretty big hit just happened there. So I think it happened at the right time. Uh, United and Continental had gotten together in 2008 and the talks failed then. Uh, but right now I'm saying it's the right time because you got the recovery of the economy. You've got moderate fuel prices. So people aren't panicking and going, oh, my God, oil at 150, we can't survive or oil at 40. Screw you. We don't need a deal. So annual cost savings are going to you know, hit one billion to one point two billion. That's annually. So. Interesting to note. To get your calls in the air, it's 800-345-5639. It's 800-345-5639 to get your calls on the air. You can always email me, rob at robblack.com. It's rob at robblack.com. You're listening to Talk 910. It's more stimulating talk. See what I got coming up for you. Anything interesting? Got a little... Ooh, let's do a little business time when we come back because there's some good business headline stories, including something new out of Starbucks. And something old in the world of rental cars. 800-345-5639 to get your calls on the air. It's our black show, 9, 10 a.m. More stimulating talk. Because you want to be able to afford your midlife crisis. It's the Rob Black Show on 910 AM. More stimulating talk. Call now. 1-800-345-5639. I got all sorts of content lined up for you later today, including one analyst who thinks the stock market's going to crash in the next 6 to 18 months. We'll get to that story in the appropriate time. Don't be shy with your phone calls. It's 800-345-5639. It's 800-345-5639 to get your calls on the air. And you can always email me, Rob, at robblack.com. Let's do a little business time. Oh, yeah. It's business time. It's business time. It's business. It's business time. That's what you're trying to say. You're trying to say, let's get down to business. It's business time. I love it when someone sends me an email and says this song is, song is stuck in my head. <laughs> Trust me, I know. I put it there. To get your calls on the air, it's 800-345-5639. Let's talk about business stories that are out there. The Avis Budget Group. I know you're saying Avis Budget. Do you remember there once was a company called Budget? Uh, they said today that they are seeking to beat the Hertz Global offering for dollar thrifty. Again, it says that uh, they were ignored when they attempted to strike a deal, they don't understand why this announcement by Avis signals a potential battle in the rental car sector and industry that's seen significant consolidation. Rental car companies very, very slow to recover from the recession, which battered and fried their business as well as their leisure customers. Ultimately, in a letter to Dollar Thrifty's board, Avis's chairman, a guy named Ronald Nelson, he's saying that Hertz's proposed offer is a low premium for Dollar Thrifty. It's being comprised mostly of cash. Offered uh, dollar thrifty shareholders little future upside. Interesting. He criticized the board for what he referred to as an egregious provision within the Hertz bid meant to deter rival bidders from emerging. 
So Avis Budget is bitter. They want a piece of this deal. They want to be involved in the pricing and the bidding. Dollar Thrifty wants to be acquired. Hertz is playing hardball, and Avis ain't too happy with that. Right now, there would be a 5.5% breakup fee for Dollar Thrifty to say, you know what, we're walking away from the Hertz deal. So if Avis is really, truly interested, they would have to beat the deal by a good five and a quarter percent, maybe as high as 10 to 15% higher. Could be a, 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 a ploy. It could be a, a ploy to get the government involved to make sure that, you know, this is an equal of a merger of equals, that it's smart, that it makes sense, that it's not going to hurt the consumers. Uh, could be that they truly are interested. I get the feeling that you're not going to see another raised bidder in large part because that suicide pill or that, that relatively high uh, penalty if, if someone comes along and, and matches the offer. Again, it was a very weak deal for Dollar Thrifty to sign into because it was so cash-driven that you get your cash and you go away for a low premium instead of getting cash and shares and the shares would offer upside down the road. Nope. Take cash and run. Now, again, I don't think a competing bid is actually going to come in in any way, shape, or form. Elsewhere out there in the world of business news today, Freeman Billings Ramsey is talking a little about the Obama administration and how they've reiterated their confidence that offshore production can operate safely and that they noted the severe economic impact that halting the production would have on the economy of the Gulf of Mexico production. So the Obama administration, drill, baby, drill, that phrase is coming back to haunt the White House. Um, in large part because this oil spill in the Gulf of Mexico is egregious. It's huge. Turtles are starting to show up on shore dead. Um, it's just the, the headline news on British petroleum and, and drilling, anyone who does deep sea drilling, it's not good right now. So there could be a possible delay of existing production to oil and water causing operational issues. Individual safety violations have been starting to be uncovered in the Gulf of Mexico on, you know, spot checks by the um, Department of Justice. Um, moratorium on British petroleum drilling or production, moratorium completely on production is possible. So there's a lot of issues out there. And the Obama administration, God bless his peeping heart, um, they're standing by the, 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 the drilling. And again, very unpopular to do right now with all the headlines. I'm not telling you there's a right answer. I, I'm a big proponent of we need energy and we need to get to the energy and that bad things do happen even when you're trying to accomplish good goals. So anyway, um, elsewhere in the world of business news, Starbucks, they're in the news today. They've got this instant coffee. Now, again, when you think Starbucks, you think barista, you think tip jar, you think scone, you think fresh ground coffee where you can hear it grinding. You don't think instant coffee. Well, Starbucks has got a product called Via, which is launching now into 37,000 new locations by the end of June, i.e. grocery stores. And again, maybe that'll compete a little bit with themselves. You know, I think the go-go 90s are gone. I think the early 2000s of making money hand over fist in real estate is gone. And I think consumers need to start looking at their lifestyle and say, you know what, $4, $5 cup of coffee in glorious times is, is not a problem. But right now we need to look at something a little bit more economical. I'm not telling you to pull out the Folgers coffee jar. I'm not. I'm saying that I think um, some people are going to start curbing some of their, their, their excessive spending habits that we got into during the good times. And I think coffee is one area that we can easily and clearly cut back. Uh, pretty easy. So that's why Starbucks is going after that market side of the fence. 
And also in business news today, Apple, they've sold one million iPads. That outdid the first iPhone. The first iPhone, it came out with fanfare, it came out with love, it came out with glee. But it took longer to sell one million iPhones than it did one million iPads. And this is just one of those market metrics that we tend to pay attention to. Um, Apple said today that they've sold one million of the new iPad tablets, even though it doesn't have Adobe Flash in it. This is just one month after their launch, meaning it's been selling more than twice as fast as the iPhone did when it was new. Twice as fast. So Apple said it reached a milestone also on Friday. The new 3G model of the iPad was delivered to its first buyers. So the second version of the iPad is already starting to get out there. And that means you can access AT&T cellular broadband network. You don't have to have Wi-Fi only access. So the people that got the Wi-Fi only access, they might be a little bit bitter. They might be a little bit bitter. Um, they might not. I've got like an iPod Touch that only gets Wi-Fi access, and I'm not bitter that I can't get into the AT&T world uh, in any way, shape, or form. The iPad went on sale in April, April 3rd, and now we are at May 3rd, so it's been exactly one month, and they've already uh, delayed the international launch of the device, saying that demand in the U.S. was so darn strong. Uh, they're going to start taking orders for demand worldwide on May 10th. That'll be another one of those things that we pay attention to, and maybe we reward the stock, maybe we don't reward the stock, but you get the idea, and that's your big headlines today from Business Time. Elsewhere out there, crude oil, let's go back to the oil spill issue and tie this together, because I think it's worthy of note. Crude oil hit an 18-month high. 18-month high. Stop and think about that for a second. Now, keep in mind, remember, I think your investing lifetime where you pay attention to things like this is age 20 to 60. So it's it's hit an 18-month high. Manufacturing expanded in April at the fastest pace since 2004. Manufacturing is important because when you manufacture things in a factory, you tend to consume energy to make them. So manufacturing bigger than expected, it points to increased demand in the months ahead. Plus, on top of that, you get the oil spill in the Gulf. You get people saying... We should never, ever drill oil again in the water, ever, never again, because it's going to kill our environment. And you can see how oil technically and fundamentally is doing everything right right now. So, oh, good gosh. The Louisiana Offshore Oil Port, which is a deep water port off of Louisiana, provides tanker offloading and receives oil from underwater pipelines. It's operating normally right now. It typically handles about 10% of the nation's imports and 10% of the domestic products via pipeline as far as production goes. So oil at an 18-month high. And what's interesting to note about that is the dollar's been getting stronger recently. And we used to use the weaker dollar as a reason to get in on oil because a barrel of oil is a barrel of oil. Whether or not you know a dollar could be 20% devalued in a 5-10 you know, year time frame. So it's impressive that the oil market not getting hammered at this point in time. All the recent economic data continues to point to a rebound in the economy and continues to point to a rebound in demand. To get your calls in the air, it's 800-345-5639. It's 800-345-5639 to get your calls on the air. Coming up, one of the biggest investment mistakes that you make may not be with what you invest in as far as stocks and bonds, but it may be as the car you drive. 800-345-5639. It's the Rob Black Show, 9, 10 a.m. More stimulating talk. Drop me an email, rob at robblack.com.
listening to The Rob Black Show on 910 AM. More stimulating talk. Call Rob now at 1-800-345-5639. to get your calls on the air. The big story today, Continental and United creating a merger of, of big airplanes and big airlines and Lots of hubs. They're going to control 20% of all flights in the United States. Is that a monopoly? If every one out of five times you fly, you land on one of the two of them, is that a monopoly? Technically, it's not, but it's getting pretty darn close. It's interesting to note that I tend to like to invest in companies that have that kind of market share. Think of like a Microsoft operating system. Every time you buy a personal computer... There's about a 90% chance you're going to land on Microsoft's operating system. That's incredibly powerful. Now, I tend not to like the airlines. I'm sorry, I'm kind of a Warren Buffett person when the sense that the biggest mistake he ever made was buying Teeny Weeny Airlines, TWA. He won't touch them. Now, he'll buy the companies that service them. He'll buy the companies that lease to them. But he will not touch the big airlines ever and ever again. He got burned that kind of badly. That's like getting burned by a pretty girl. Suddenly, homely looks a lot sexier the second time around. I don't know. I'm just not a big airlines guy, to be quite honest with you. But 20% of all flights, that to me feels like a monopoly in the world of air. If you look at how many flights you take per year and what the likelihood is that you're going to land on those guys. Will they be a stronger company? Will they likely be a better investment? I think so. Down the road, though, I still think that Americans are very, very frugal. And we are incredibly savvy at shopping on the internet for, quote-unquote, the lowest fares. And I'll say this. In the last two years, shopping on the web for the lowest fares, it hasn't been as fruitful as it has in past. Because the airlines are getting their stuff together. They're kind of working together. They won't legally tell you that. But they're certainly doing a really good job of, of monitoring flight demand and, and flight costs. Elsewhere, in the world of do re mi, my job on this show is to get you wealthy. My job on this show is to get you enough assets that you can live till the day you die. For a lot of you, if you've got a government job, you are sitting in hog heaven because governments have pretty good pensions. For those of you who are in the private workforce, not as good. I think if I can go back in time, would I want to be a government employee versus a capitalist pig? Ooh, I don't know. Be a capitalist pig, you got to save a lot of money to see that you take care of yourself in retirement. Whereas if you work at the DMV, the, the city and the state takes care of you, you know? That's not such a bad place to be in. One of the things that I try to do on this show is, is to get you stimulated and get you debating yourself and, and figuring out options that are smart with money issues. And one of the things I like to say is if you're driving a Mercedes and you don't make over $100,000 a year, you're over buying your car. You are... If you took the money out of your home to do it, you're just a financial retard that is struggling, struggling to make financial decisions that are going to help you get to where you want to get to as far as strength goes. A lot of people are starting to learn that one of the biggest financial mistakes they make is a house. They tend to overbuy. They tend to stretch their budget, and that's not good. Too much car finance for too long, traded in too soon. I've got a vehicle now with 10 years on it, and honestly, I'm chomping at the bit. I am chomping at the bit to trade it in. But I know the smart thing to do is to write it out another couple years, maybe three or four. 
So if you're constantly broke and you can't figure out why, maybe it's your car that's killing you. Maybe that's what's what's stopping you from, from funding your retirement. So Americans are spending more on their vehicles today than ever before. It's kind of shocking, isn't it? We spend on average $8,600 a year on our vehicle. And it's driving some to, quote unquote, the breaking point. If the average American makes about $50,000 a year and he's using roughly 20% of his income, $8,600 a year on a car, that's not good. That is not good because you also know that you're supposed to spend somewhere between 30 and 40% of your income on a house. So suddenly 50% are already gone completely. 50 to 60% already gone before you save a penny for retirement. Before you get a house, I'm sorry, before you save a penny for retirement, before you um, set up an emergency fund or medical expenses come up. Right now, one out of every four people that are in credit counseling, one out of four people in credit counseling dramatically overspent on a car. Now, some people may be spending 15 to 20% of their take home on the car, and that's just silly. I'll be honest with you. Um, when I look at the opposite sex in a car, or when I look at my own sex in a car, I tend to see douchebag driving an $80,000 white Porsche. And I just go, douchey, 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 douche. Now, that may get him some tail from an unsophisticated woman, but if that's what you want, go for it. I tend to look at someone who buys a two-year-old used car as, that's a sexy, that's sexy. I find that very, very attractive. So, I don't know. I don't know if you do or not. I tend to think that the car as a status symbol is almost silly. On top of that, the more status symbol car you have, the more you pay for insurance. The more you pay for gas sometimes because they get horrible gas mileage. The more you pay for maintenance and every other cost on a vehicle. You know, a Porsche, to get it tuned up, it's going to cost you an arm and leg. So, a nice Toyota Celica? Not so much. Not so much. So there's the big whopping payment angle. A lot of people will eat out less, and they will shop more carefully to reduce their food bills because they don't want to cut down on their car bills. They really want a status symbol car. Now, you can lower utility bills by adjusting the thermostat. You can cut your entertainment budget by canceling your cable. You could borrow movies from the library on DVD. You could even reduce your shelter costs by taking in a roommate. But once you've committed to a car payment, you're pretty much so stuck in it. So for someone who makes $19,000 or less in America, they spend about $3,400 a year on a car. Let's do the math there. That's about 15% again. Average American making between nineteen dollars and 36000 spend about 5600 Average American between 36000 and 60000 about 7800 Average American who makes sixty thousand to ninety thousand, about ten thousand four hundred, and the average American making over ninety three thousand dollars makes spends about fifteen thousand six hundred on a car. Again, it doesn't take a mathematician to show you that's eighteen to twenty percent. We're doing it as a nation across the board. Fifteen to twenty percent of our take home is going into the car, and that's just horrific. We'll talk a little bit about this coming up. But first, let's get to a phone call eight hundred three four five. Five six three nine. It's eight hundred three four five five six three nine. Let's go to Keith and Morgan Hill. Hey Rob, how you doing? I'm doing okay. Um, I'm interested in investing in either an ETF and have a manager take care of it, or some mutual funds. Which which one do you like better? 
What do you like? Do you like filet or do you like ribeye? Ribeye's got a little bit more marbling on it, tastes a little bit better. Filet's got a le- less uh, fat on it, and it, it's, it tastes like butter when you or chews like butter. Well, you know, I'm a ribeye kind of guy. It has a little bit more variety of meat, you know. Okay, okay. Same thing with the ETFs or mutual funds. You have to decide what works for you and what you're most comfortable with, um, whether it be individual stocks or iShares of an index or mutual funds that are actively managed or mutual funds that are passively managed or exchange-traded funds that can sell at a premium because everyone wants them or they could sell at a discount because no one wants them. Right now, for instance, you could probably get an ETF on oil service players at a discount, whereas you're going to get an ETF on oil companies that sells at a premium because the drillers right now, we think that um, offshore drilling may get halted worldwide because of what we're seeing in the Gulf. And therefore, no one wants to own these companies. So you may be able to get 5, 10, 15, 20% off. So something that would normally cost you 100 bucks is going to cost you 80 bucks. Whereas if you go with the oil players in themselves, you're going to pay a premium to get into them, where I'd invest in probably a mutual fund or an individual stock at that point in time and not pay a premium for the exchange-traded fund. So there's multiple ways to do it. And it really comes down, Keith, to A, what you're good at, and B, what you're comfortable at. Um, and that's what I would boil it down to. I would have, for instance, there's a mutual fund in, in, in the Bay Area called the Chinese China uh, Matthews Funds. I've never been to China. I don't want to go to China. I've got no interest in China. So I'm going to hire them to do my mutual funds on China, or I'll use a Fidelity mutual fund or somebody else. But you get the idea there is I have no problem using them because they go to China. They know the companies. They'll do the work. They, they like Chinese food. Um, so I think in some case, now, usually I want to buy individual stocks, but I don't know what a Chinese stock is. I don't know what city it's located in. I don't know their CEO. I don't know their management. I don't know if China takes the way of shame where they'd rather kill themselves than commit corporate fraud, or if they're, you know, Americans where they have no shame in taking a $20 million salary while putting the company in bankruptcy. I, it's too much for me. So it really depends on what works for you, Keith. I wouldn't yeah. say I wouldn't say one size fits all. Out there, I got about twenty eight different stocks I've purchased since listening to you. And everyone says it's easy to buy stocks. And you don't know when to sell stocks. And uh, one of these uh, financial advisors telling me, "Well, if you get ETF and we can go ahead and manage it for you, we can buy and sell for you. And you know, we know when to sell, and you usually don't know when to sell. And that's when you get in the problems." Yeah, here's the the kicker on selling. You have to have as good of a d- discipline on selling as you do on buying, Keith. And you can't talk yourself out of it. For instance, if there's a company that you like, you come up with one, two, three, four, five things that you like about the company. And if you're buying an individual company, let's say you like the management. Let's use Steve Jobs and let's use Apple as, as an example. Everywhere Steve Jobs has gone, he's made people money. We feel comfortable with that. Then you go to product. Apple probably has the number one electronics product in the world right now. So you like the product. And then you go to the revenue Whoa, they're growing their revenue at a healthy clip over 20% year over year. So you like the revenue. You look at the profits. Are they growing revenue and then they're, they're getting sued and they're spending a lot of money on covering lawsuits? Are they growing revenue but uh, they're hiring too many people or management's taking no, too much money? No, their profits look great. And then you maybe say something like competition. How's the competition doing? And let's throw in a couple more in here. Let's throw in margins. How are the margins doing? You know, it's one thing if you can make an iPhone for $350, you really need to make it for 125 so you can get the profit of $250 on it after you've marketed and after you've done, you know, cost of, of retaining equipment and things along those lines. So those are your six reasons why you just bought it. 
So you sell it if Steve Jobs gets unhealthy. You sell it if their new product, the iPad, is laughed at and reviewed miserably. You sell it if their revenue starts going from 20% to 15 to 10%. You sell it if the profits are starting to decline on a percentage of revenue basis. You sell it if competition, like somebody really has got the next best thing, or you sell it if the margin's starting compressing, where it's costing them more and more just to get the revenue through the door. So the same reasons that you like it are the same reasons that you sell it. You got to build a case, and here's the kicker, Keith: is you got to be honest with yourself. And I just don't think most Americans are honest with themselves. Again, you know, times are still tight. The unemployment number on Friday is going to give us a, a good indicator. And those are some other things, like for instance, you could use unemployment numbers as part of your factor into buying or selling a stock. So you really got to figure out what works for you and then have the discipline to execute it. So anyway, uh, good luck to you and thanks for the call. 800. Thank you very much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 800-345-5639 to get your calls in the air. It's 800-345-5639 to get your calls in the air. Here's some vehicular overspending. Signs that people are, are spending too much on their vehicles. Listen to this. Nearly 90% of new car loans and 81% of used car loans are for longer than four years. When I was a little teeny tiny little boy, when I was an embryo, when I was an amoeba, the average new car loan was for about three and a half, three years. Now it's four years and seven months. So we're spending more time paying off our quote unquote new car. Longer term loans mean that you build equity in the car very, very slowly. And it means that borrowers will be upside down in their vehicles, i.e. owing more than they're worth for at least three years. And again, we're learning what underwater means in homes. Do you know what it means in a car? Like right now, I can sell my car. It's been paid off for many, 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 many years. I can sell my car, and that's an asset to me. Still need a new car, so it's not as big of an asset as you'd imagine. One-fifth of cars that are financed include debt rolled from a previous car. That's another sign that people are way overspending on their car. And rolling debt from one car to another is a terrible, terrible idea, because when you do that, you ultimately pay higher interest rates, because so much of what you owe is no longer secured just by the car itself. So being upside down really leaves you down a creek in the car. And again, if I can push anything on people, it's I know this isn't good for America. It's, it's Look at your car and say, do I got way too much car? Do I got way too much car? Could I have done something better? Like, for instance, I got an SUV that I, I picked up for ski, ski trips. I could have rented a, a nice SUV, or I could have done other things along the lines with that. I didn't get an SUV so I can, you know, go to Home Depot and pick up lots of lawn goodies. I didn't do that. I know, that was never my goal. My goal was to get more ski trips in. To get your calls in the air, it's 800-345-5639. It's 800-345-5639 to get your calls on the air. Email's rob at robblack.com, rob at robblack.com. Coming up, headline news. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.